All right, let's stand and read Numbers chapter 20, verse 1 through 13. And the people of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month, and the people stayed in Kadesh. And Miriam died there and was buried there. Now there was no water for the congregation, and they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people quarreled with Moses and said, what, what that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord? Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness that we should die here? both we and our cattle? And why have you made us come out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. Then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly into the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. And Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he had commanded him. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Hear now, you rebels. Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice. And water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. These are the waters of Meribeth, where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord, and through them he showed himself holy. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Wasn't that a great story? Not this story, but the story before this story. Wasn't that encouraging? So, so exciting to see that happen. Well, um, guess what? We're coming to the end of this series on the life of Moses. We, we have, I know, we have one more week, um, but we're, we're nearing, approaching the end. This thing began all the way back in January, and um, today we will actually follow Moses' story through to his death on Mount Nebo, and then our final week, I want to just hear Moses, give Moses an opportunity to speak in his own words. We'll look at a, a passage in Deuteronomy, which will kind of complete the series. And, um, you know, we come to a scene that, um, a story that, the word that hit me this week as I was in this, is, this is just sobering. And there's been a lot of sobering moments, haven't there, in this series? And this one for me was, was particularly sobering. And uh, there's things here that, uh, that don't sit well, certainly not for uh, folks of modern sensibilities like ourselves, at least myself. And, um, but I just, I was realizing, and especially as we watch the other passages we're going to read, um, this is kind of, sort of a, 
not a particularly inspirational message in some ways, but it's a real message. And it's a sobering reality that uh, we live in God's world. Uh, This is God's world. Um, We live as part of God's plan. Uh, and uh, the whole thing is for God's glory. It all points to Him, and we are called to play our parts in this story, and we play those parts, uh, and then our parts end, and God's story moves on. Uh, but this is a story that's about the holiness and the glory of God, and there's something sobering about that, but there's something really important to, if we're going to live in reality, uh, we need to come to terms with that, and certainly Moses had to learn how to come to terms with that, and so we'll, we'll see that in this passage and uh, in the following passages. So let's just jump right in. A little context. Um, so I think some time has passed now. I think they've been in the wilderness for maybe 38 years now. So they're, they're coming to the very end of their season in the wilderness. A lot of time has passed. Uh, you saw there in uh, verse 1 that Miriam dies. That's Mo- Moses' older sister. We'll see all, all three deaths of the siblings today, Miriam, Aaron, and Moses. So none of them entered the promised land. They all died in the wilderness. So Miriam dies. Uh, And then uh, we notice that in verse 3, I guess the wilderness season kind of ends the way it began, doesn't it? With grumbling and complaining. And uh, Tina was reading, I'm like, I think she just hit, we just, someone hit record and playback, playback, right? We've just, we've heard this complaint uh, time and time again. And um, I want to look at Moses' response today. Uh, What Moses does, and uh, I know it is sobering. Very sobering. Uh, and and uh, what happens here? And you know, I, I don't know. I mean, many of us are familiar with the story. It, it's a hard story, right? Like Moses disobeys God, and God says, "No, you don't get to enter the promised land." And I, I was, I'm like, really? <laughs> like after all we've seen, like th- does the punishment fit the crime? Does that that feels like I don't know? It just feels unfair. It's a bummer, and um, I have no ability to resolve that, that for us this morning, other than to enter into it and to explore it a little bit. Uh, but the people complain, and uh, we'll focus on what Moses does and what the consequence of that is. But let's look at verse 6. Uh, things go kind of the way they normally go until about verse 10, and that's where things go sideways. So Moses and Aaron, right, they, the people are complaining. Uh, they go to the tent of meeting. They fall face down before the Lord. The glory of God appears at the tent of meeting. Uh, and it's interesting. God what God says, verse 8, uh, take the staff and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly, right? Speak to the rock before their eyes and it will pour out its water for the people. And it's interesting. This is a moment where God chooses not to berate the people for their lack of faith. And sometimes he does, this time he doesn't. He, he basically says the people need water and water is a pretty important thing. So he's like, okay, we're going we're gonna to provide water for the people. And uh, so verse 9, Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence just as he commanded him, right? So far, so good. Everything's going well. Uh, And then in verse 10, of course, Moses chooses to do something that is not what God commanded, and that's where the the story kind of goes sideways. So I just want to look at what what does he do, and what does he say, and and what's the big deal, (laughs) okay, if I can put it that way. So here's what he does, right? Uh, God had said, I want you to speak to the rock, and water's going to come out of it. And Moses instead takes his staff, and he strikes the rock twice, right, and water comes out. So he disobeys God, and um, I don't know why he did that. <laughs> I'm not sure why he chooses to do that. I don't know if he, there was a lack of faith. He thought maybe, maybe just speaking to the rock won't work. Um, you know, this staff has come in handy a lot. He's, he's trusted this staff. God had him actually strike a rock years before. That's how they did it before. So he knows that strategy works. Maybe I'll stick with the old strategy. Right? I don't know. What happens if I just sort of talk and nothing happens? 
Maybe that's what's going on. Maybe he's just angry. Maybe he's so frustrated with the people. And, you know, two strikes is kind of like, this is just, he might be, he might be uh, in a lather. You know, he's, 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 he's angry. We don't know why he does it. There's no reason for him to disobey God in this way, but he does. He disobeys God, God with what he does. And then I think maybe as much as what he does is he disobeys God in what he says, right? Look at verse 10. He stood before the people and said, listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? Okay, now God did not command him to lecture the people, <laughs> right? God said, give the people water. And maybe Moses said, I feel like the people need a good lecture, right? He's frustrated. So listen, you rebels. And then I think that that little um, pronoun may be the most important one, must, who, right? Must we bring you water out of this rock? Okay? Seems to be kind of taking credit for what God is doing. And I'm thinking, this is the first time that I can recall that Moses ever talks like this. Right? Every other time, it's the Lord will provide. Right? You just stand so the Lord will fight for you. Why are you complaining against us? Your complaint's not against us, it's against the Lord. And this is the first time where he, there's a presumption. You rebels, must we provide water from the rock. Okay, two weeks ago we talked about Moses as the most humble man who ever lived. And this is one moment uh, where I think anger, frustration, and pride kicked in, and uh, he disobeys God, right? I mean, he has no reason to do it this way, but he's, you can understand how much he's dealt with, and he clearly disobeys God. Uh, presumption, pride, disobedience. And um, I don't know how serious or, or not serious that feels to you, uh, but it's clear in the passage that it's serious to God. And, and what's interesting is how God articulates what was wrong with what Moses did. And this is where I think we really need to focus. Look at verse 12. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust in me enough to, here's the phrase I want to focus on, to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. So the essence of what Moses and Aaron did there is they did not honor God as holy, okay? Whatever else we might think about what they did, that's what God thinks about what they did. You did not in this moment honor me as holy in the sight of Israel. And it's really interesting. That phrase keeps popping up in the rest of the story. So later in Numbers when God says, well, actually Joshua is going to succeed you and, and he'll lead the people in the promised land, he uses that exact same phrase. Let's see here. He says it this way. Oh, there it is. Um, For when the community rebelled at the waters in the desert of Zin, this is Numbers 27, both of you disobeyed my command to honor me as holy before their eyes. Later in Deuteronomy, when he says, you're going to die on Mount Nebo, he uses this same phrase. This is because both of you broke faith with me in the presence of Israelites at the waters of Meribah, Kadesh, in the desert of Zin, and because you did not uphold my holiness among the Israelites. So God is really clear. This was the issue. You did not honor me as holy. And I was thinking this week, what was the very first thing Moses ever learned about Yahweh? It was that he's holy. The very first thing God ever said is he called Moses by name, right? The burning bush. Moses, Moses. Moses turns to see the sight, and the very first thing God says is this. Don't come any closer. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. 
The very first thing Moses ever learned is God, Yahweh, is a holy God. When people are given access into the heavenly throne room in the Bible, like Isaiah or John in the Revelation, and they see God on his throne, the very first thing everyone is immediately aware of is this God is what? Holy, right? They're crying out, holy, holy, holy. And so this seems to be the issue. You did not uphold me as holy. And most of us know this word, what this word holiness means. It means that God is set apart, right? Meaning he's unique. He's, uh, he's one of a kind. He's in a category all by himself. You can't, he does, you can't compare him to anybody else. He is incomparable. And he is perfect. Holiness means that. He's without a hint of sin or uh, deficiency or defect, right? He's He's perfect perfection, we might say. He is a holy God. And so to honor him as holy, I think, means to live in a way that shines the light on the fact that he is, he is utterly unique, that he is in a category all by himself. And the way we do that is through obedience, through trust, through worship, right? As a holy God, he's never to be treated lightly. He's never to be treated flippantly or casually. He's certainly never to be disregarded. And when we do what Moses did in this this moment, when we we take actions uh, that say, actually, I know better than God, which is kind of what Moses does here, or when we take actions just say, I know what God wants, I'm just going to do what I want anyways, we do not honor him as holy. Or certainly uh, when we presume to stand in the place of God, right? when we take credit for things that are God's to take credit for, as, as Moses kind of does in this moment, when we're drawing attention to ourselves, when we're putting ourselves at the center of things through our actions, right, we are not honoring God as holy. And God in this passage clearly through the consequence says, this issue is very important to me. I want to be honored as holy by my people. And maybe especially by those of my people who are in leadership. And you think Moses had experienced so much of God's holiness and God's glory. And so it makes sense that he's held to a higher standard to uphold that holiness in the sight of Israel. And so let me just pause there for a second. I'm not even going to tease this out in our own lives, other than just to have you just think for a second. As you look at your life right now, what does it it look like to, to honor God as holy? Uh, what are things in your life right now that you can do or postures that you can take that you'd say, this, this would really honor God as holy? Uh, what are things that you're pursuing right now, decisions you're making, actions you're taking that if you're honest, you go, you know what, this, this doesn't honor God. This, this treats God flippantly or casually uh, or as though he's not the most important and the most amazing thing in my life. You just take a second to like, what, what is this, how does this play out in our lives today? What would it look like to be a people who honor God as holy in the sight of all the people? Well, Moses uh, doesn't honor God as holy here. And the consequence, of course, is uh, you don't get to enter the promised land. Um, it's really interesting to look at how this, the passage ends. Uh, God provides water, right? Look at verse 13. These were the waters of Meribah where the Israelites quarreled with the Lord. And look at the last phrase. And where he was proved 
holy among them. Interesting. So God says to Moses, you didn't honor me as holy, but God uh, acts in such a way in that moment that he proves himself still to be holy in spite of Moses. And my sense is, here's how he does that. Um, Moses disobeys God. It's really interesting that God still provides water, right? Like if I was God, I'd be like, go ahead, Moses, see what happens. Or like, here we go, people, boom, boom, right? Boom, boom, you know, like, and nothing. I mean, he could have, God could have just, see what you do, see what happens here, Moses. But he chooses to still do the miracle in the midst of the disobedience, which is interesting. And I think that's because the people desperately needed water. And so God reveals himself as a God who provides. Um, but in the, in, in, the, in the midst of that, he then disciplines Moses and Aaron, says, you guys will not enter the promised land. And undoubtedly, the whole community of Israel would have heard that and known that. And so they learned in that moment, okay, our God provides, and our God disciplines people who do not honor his holiness. He does both of those things at the same time. And so in that way, God was proved holy among them. They were, I imagine, in fear of him, but also in gratitude towards him for for providing. So God's holiness would not be taken away just because of Moses' disobedience. And I'm grateful for that as a person in leadership and anyone in leadership that God continues to reveal his holiness in the midst of very imperfect people. So what I want to do is um, I just want to follow the rest of this story um, of Moses and, and Aaron. And again, this is, this is sobering, but I just want to just, just read two more passages to you. So they blow it in this moment. God says, here's your consequence. He said, I'm looking for trusting obedience in my people. I'm not looking for presumption and pride and flipping that, and here's your consequence. So let's just see how this plays out for both of them. So if you go to verse 22 in our, in our chapter, we get the death of Aaron. And let me just read it to you and just make a couple comments. Uh, the whole Israelite community set out from Kadesh and came to Mount Hor. At Mount Hor, near the border of Edom, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Aaron will be gathered to his people. He will not enter the land I give the Israelites, because both of you rebelled against my command at the waters of Meribah. Get Aaron and his son Eliezer and take them up Mount Hor. Remove Aaron's garments and put them on his son Eleazar, for Aaron will be gathered to his people. He will die there. Moses did as the Lord commanded. They went up Mount Hor in the sight of the whole community. Moses removed Aaron's garments and put them on his son, Eleazar. And Aaron died there on top of the mountain. Then Moses and Eleazar came down from the mountain. And when the whole community learned that Aaron had died, all the Israelites mourned for him 30 days. Can okay, you just imagine that? These three men going up a mountain together, Aaron knowing that he's going up, to die, and he's not coming back. And you have his son there, and there's this spiritual transfer of priestly authority, right, from Aaron, who had been the high priest, to his son, Eleazar, who would be the high priest. And, and what a poignant moment. Literally, there's a, there's a physical transfer of the priestly garments, right? Aaron, knowing he's about to die, takes off his garments, puts them on his son. His son now takes the, the mantle of priestly leadership, given God's blessing to do that. Aaron's time is done. He dies, uh, and Moses and his son undoubtedly bury him, and they come back down the mountain. And that is the end of, Mo- of Aaron's story. This one we saw all the way back in the beginning, uh, playing this role, and, um, and then that is transferred to his son. And the priesthood continues, and uh, it continues without Aaron, and it continues through his son, okay? So we have that story. 
And then let's go to the end of the story. Go all the way to the end of Deuteronomy. As Deuteronomy 34, we're going to look at the death of Moses. I got really emotional reading this this week. It felt like the end of a really good novel. You know, you've, you've come to love these characters. And uh, this is a really, um, it's just a fascinating scene to me. It kind of caught me off guard. Uh, let me read verse 1 through 8. This is Deuteronomy 34. Then Moses climbed Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab. This is just right looking over the promised land. To the top of Pisgah, across from Jericho. There the Lord showed him the whole land, from Gilead to Dan, all of Naphtali, the territory of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah, as far as the Mediterranean Sea. The Negev and the whole region from the valley of Jericho, the city of Palms, as far as Zoar. Then the Lord said to him, this is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when I said, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross over into it. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab, as the Lord had said. He buried him in Moab, in the valley opposite Beth Peor, but to this day, no one knows where his grave is. Moses was 120 years old when he died, yet his eyes were not weak nor his strength gone. The Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days until the time of weeping and mourning was over. And I, I, I read that, and um, there's such, I don't know, there's such a bittersweetness um, to that, that moment for me. Uh, clearly, there's a bitterness in it, uh, and the bitterness, of course, is, you know, Moses is, a, is allowed to see this land he's heard so much about, right, that God said, this is where I'm springing my people, and he can, he can almost taste it, right? He can see it, and yet he himself is not allowed to enter in. It's this profound moment of, of limits that God places on his, his life. And you just think of all this work he's done, everything he's done, right? Bringing them to this point, and then that, that hope is cut short right at the edge of the promised land. And, and surely he died with some level of deep disappointment, of, a, of at least an unmet dream that he had, I would imagine. And uh, the truth is, I don't think anywhere God ever told him, you will bring these people in the promised land. I don't think God ever said that. Um, but surely, <laughs> Moses had hoped and maybe even assumed that that would be the case. And when they first entered the wilderness 40 years earlier, I promise you, Moses never could have imagined they would spend 40 years in that wilderness. That could have been a couple of months. It could have played out. And it was 40 years. He never would have imagined that. And all that time, leading the people, suffering the people, carrying the responsibility of leadership. And I imagine he never would have guessed that after all those years, his opportunity would be cut short and he himself would not be able to enter into the promised land. And I think there had to be at least a level of, of disappointment. Uh, look at verse 9. Then verse 9, Now Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. So the Israelites listened to him and did what the Lord had commanded Moses. And so just as with Aaron, now authority is passed from Moses to Joshua. Joshua will take over from here. Moses' story ends, and God's story continues through this new young leader, Joshua. Moses has played his part. As I said at the beginning, there's something sobering about that to me. There's a, there's a limitation. I, I, it reminded me of another person's story that I think is probably the most sobering story in all of Scripture, and it's the story of John the Baptist. You know the story of John's ministry? 
right? Very different than Moses, of course. But John was this guy who, um, you know, filled with the Spirit at birth. He goes out into the wilderness, actually probably not too far away from where Moses was at times. And um, he has this amazing prophetic ministry. People are coming to him in droves, and his ministry is to prepare the way for the Messiah. And then Jesus comes on the scene, and he's baptized by John. Uh, and then people start going to Jesus instead of John. And his, his ministry has played its part. And his ministry just kind of slowly wanes over time. And uh, then he's arrested, and he's put in prison for a time. And eventually he's beheaded. And he never gets to see uh, Jesus' resurrection. He doesn't get to see the way the story plays out. He plays his role, uh, and the story of God moves on with him dying for his faith. And I, I was reminded of what, what John says in John 3 that it just felt apropos to today. Uh, this is his disciples come to John, and they're kind of feeling um, jealous for their, their, their rabbi. They're not liking that everyone's going off to Jesus. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing, and everyone's now going to him. And this, these are really poignant words to me from John. To this, John replied, a person can receive only what is given then from heaven. He must become greater. I must become less. And, and, and it's this... Um, it's this theology of limits, <laughs> if I could put it that way. And I was thinking about just the limits that God places on people's lives and on even his greatest people's lives. And, um, you know, Moses, there was a limit placed on him. He wasn't able to prom end the promise. And obviously, John, he had a role for a time, and his, his role was served, and then he kind of waned. And Jesus, of course, came to be what he needed to be. And I was thinking this week just of, like, I haven't heard any sermons on a theology of limits, you know? And we're Americans. We hate limits, right? We, we, we don't like limits. Um, and yet God in his sovereignty places us in his story in ways that have great opportunities but also um, have limits. And, of course, some of that, our sin, and as with Moses, is, is part of the reason that things are limited. But other times it's just life and just how it goes. And uh, because of that, we all, in our own ways, we, we live with, uh, disappointments, every single one of us, uh, Moses, John, right, all the disciples. But, but all of us live with various disappointments in our lives, okay, however you want to articulate this. Unmet expectations, um, unfulfilled dreams, um, unexpected losses, right? And, and we all have to somehow learn to carry disappointment throughout our lives in relationship with this God who is sovereign and who is, is loving. We all have to kind of, in some way, come to terms with that statement. A person can receive only what is given them from heaven. We, we all have to come to accept that in our own ways, in our own stories. And um, there's a bitterness to that. There, there's a, maybe a sadness or a, a soberness to that. Um, but, but, of course, that's not the only thing I see uh, at the end of this story, there's also a real tenderness, I think, to this moment of God and, and Mos uh, Moses. There's a, there's a sweetness to this moment. And I, I was, this is kind of what got me emotional, actually, this week is, okay, Moses is like, he's so there, and yet it's cut short. There's a limit placed on him. There's a disappointment there. But th I think there's a real sweet intimacy to this moment. And I was thinking, you know, it's interesting. And from one perspective, Moses dies alone, Okay. 
Nobody is with him when he dies on that mountain. You think about how many times Israel had watched Moses go up a mountain alone and then come back down the mountain, right? And this is the only time where he goes up a mountain and he never comes back. And he's alone when he dies. Nobody knows where he's buried, it says. And yet, of course, we, the way the story reads is Moses is not alone. Actually, Moses dies in the presence of his best friend, his closest companion, his God, who undoubtedly, after 120 years, had become his closest companion in life. And the one who was the, the joy of his heart, the treasure of his heart, the one whose glory he had seen um, is right there as his faithful companion in his death. And I love that detail. God himself buries Moses. How sweet is that? There's no human to bury Moses, and God in his compassion, his kindness, he buries Moses himself. And Moses' time is cut, I mean, 120 years, that's not cut short, right? But it does say he still had strength, right? He still had more in him. But God cuts his time short, and there's a disappointment in that. Moses never sees the, or never enters the promised land, But of course, from another standpoint, he enters eternity, (laughs) and he enters into the presence of the one he loves. And so there's a tenderness there. So that is Moses, the story of Moses, from birth to death. And I was thinking, just to step back and kind of finish again, we have another week. But after all that we've seen of him, Moses, in his life, from beginning to end, what would he want to say to us? I think there'd be two things he'd say about our God. One is, um, God is sovereign. He's in control. This is his plan, not yours. Um, you're just a character in his story. I'm just a character in his story. And um, we play our parts, and God's story moves on. So let's live for his glory. But second, God is good. He's a shepherd. He's tender. He's compassionate. He walks with his people. He redeems his people. And um, he understands disappointment, and he he carries his people through those limits and those disappointments. And so I think particularly as we think about uh, our own disappointments in life, I'll leave you with this. What do you do with your disappointments? How do you... you carry your disappointments? How do you engage your disappointments uh, with a God who is, who is sovereign but who also loves you? And I think for some of us, our disappointments become um, these scars in our lives, right, that can become tough and hardened. Uh, for some of us, our disappointments are just these black holes that we don't even know how to navigate with God, so we just, we don't. Or they leave us cynical or they, they actually start to create distance between us and God, and I think um, Moses would say, no, no, your disappointments are, are an invitation to lean in to God. That's the very place where a sovereign and loving God is saying, I'm your shepherd. I want to shepherd you through these. I have created some of these limits, uh, but I am here. I want to walk with you and shepherd you through these disappointments so that we might experience greater intimacy, greater connection, not less. Let's pray.
Well, Father, we just acknowledge today that you are the sovereign God and that you have a story that is playing out. And we're just supporting actors or even bit part players at times in this story of yours. And yet you see each one of us. You love us deeply. You care for us. Lord, help us to be faithful to the part of the story that you call us to play, to honor your holiness in all the little and big ways we can each day. And Lord, even now as we worship, may this be a time where we honor your holiness. We offer you ourselves. We offer you our disappointments, our joys. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.